Welcome back to Everywhere Radio. I'm your host, Whitney Kimball Coe, and I'm thrilled to introduce you to my guests today. Beth Haskovec is from a one-stoplight county in rural Iowa and now lives and works in Wisconsin. Trisha Purden grew up in the small town of Kiowa, Kansas, and both of these women now serve as the director of their respective state's offices of rural prosperity. That's right, Wisconsin and Kansas both have an office of rural prosperity. How cool is that? I need to get my Everywhere radio team to fact check me on this, but I think these two states are the only states with such an office. Beth and Tricia can elaborate more on their mission, but in general, a statewide office of rural prosperity exists to ensure rural stakeholders are part of the equation across policy, capital, resource management, that rural people and places are connected to those programs and pathways that contribute to community prosperity. I met Beth and Tricia many months ago when we were preparing for one of our Everywhere virtual events, and it struck me then how incredible it would be if every state had a rural office to connect the dots across state programs and policies and help ensure that we see rural as a part of the future that we envision for our states. So I'm really excited to have Beth and Tricia here to tell us more about their work, um, about these offices for rural prosperity, um, and to hear more about their background. So Beth and Tricia, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm really glad you're here. Thanks for having us, Whitney. Yeah, thank you. We're excited. Well, I wanted to ask each of you to give me a snapshot of who you are and, and where you come from. Um, tell me, if you'll tell me your rural story. That's, that's what I'm interested in here today. Sure. So I'm from Waukon, Iowa. It's in the part of Iowa that people don't know a lot about, which is the hilly part of Iowa. Um, it's in the Driftless region off of the Mississippi River. Um, I think one of the most beautiful parts of the state. And um, as I, as you mentioned, one stoplight in the county. Um, so um, I grew up, my, both my parents were teachers, so I've always had a commitment to government service and an interest in the public good. And both of them were children of farmers. And so um, that aspect of rural life um, was really important to my family growing up. We, my dad basically grew a subsistence farm. He didn't call it that, <laughs> but essentially that's what it was. We had a root cellar and uh, he, they canned vegetables and um, just a lot of, you know, the values of self-reliance um, were something that I grew up with and that kind of shaped who I was and, and wanting to get into public service. And, um, and also, you know, growing up rural, my passion for economic development work started in rural America, um, you know, having to drive an hour to go to buy clothing or, um, you know, find restaurants. Um, I was born in La Crosse, Wisconsin, because it was the nearest major hospital. Um, so just really understanding um, some of the challenges that rural Americans face in accessing resources was something that was part of my upbringing, and I think it helped shape the work that I'm doing now in the Office of Rural Prosperity. Um, I kind of took a, a, a jagged path. I, I went and did international development work as a Peace Corps volunteer. Uh, then I lived on the East Coast for a few years in rural Vermont and in D.C., just kind of trying to figure out my path ended up in Milwaukee and was doing urban development work for a while and then discovered, um, you know, really decided I needed to get back to my roots. And so um, 
the company I was working for had a national rural program and I went and worked for them for about a year and a half until this role opened up. And it's just been a great homecoming for me. Um, I love urban development work, but really, you know, this has been an opportunity for me to reconnect to where I'm from. And I think there's no greater time to be investing in rural communities than right now. So it's just been this like perfect um, kind of convergence of my life experiences that have brought me to this role. And it's, I've been here since uh, the end of or since the end of June in 2022, and it's been a phenomenal experience so far. Hmm. Oh, that's beautiful. And I have quite, I have more questions for you about all of that um, that you just offered. But I want to I also want to um, hear Trisha's rural story because I wonder, it, you know, where they overlap. Yeah, I definitely think there's some similarities. I grew up in Kiowa, Kansas, which is right on the border of Kansas and Oklahoma. Um, I would say south central to western. It's kind of a cutoff between the two, um, nestled in the Jip Hills of Kansas. So it's where everything is flat, and then suddenly you see canyons in Kansas. That's that's where I grew up. Um, I think uh, Ted Turner has a massive buffalo ranch there uh, now. It's pretty neat. But um, population 900. I, I I loved living in Kiowa and went off to university, went to KU and uh, became a Jayhawk. And when my husband and I were trying to find out what we wanted to do and where we wanted to go, um, we just, we really fell in love with Independence, Kansas. And that's where our office is now. It's where I'm at right now. Um, I was doing economic development here for quite some time, but um, again, kind of what Beth was saying, it really... I was passionate about moving to rural and staying in rural, rural. And what we like to say is rural by choice here in Kansas. Um, my family came over in the 1800s and I think they came up a, a boat and a raft up the Mississippi River and they crossed over. So um, we have a pioneer heritage in our family and really kind of have that culture in our, in our family and our heritage of kind of pull yourself up by the bootstraps and embrace your neighbors and be part of the community. And that really was ingrained in, with, uh, in me with my, my parents and my grandparents. Um, my mom was a nurse. My dad was a railroader. Um, so my grandma was an artist. So it was kind of this mixed bag of small town folks that really inspired me to stay with that. And so went into economic development um, because that was fun. And it was the cool part of local government management. <laughs> Um, but I really fell in love with it and saw ways that it wasn't just bringing new jobs to rural communities, but building the community as a whole of bringing about housing and childcare opportunities and thinking about how um, arts and culture and placemaking all kind of coincides together to really make economic development happen. And that's very different in rural communities, I think, than urban. So um, I got selected for this position back in like this time that's two years ago um started in june of 2021 uh, at the office of rural prosperity um governor kelly created the office in 2019 so it's fairly new um and then when the position was opening up they requested that i that i fill it and i've loved it ever since it's been a whirlwind like beth said um, but we've got a lot accomplished in the last 18 months it was i right in my intro about uh, Kansas and Wisconsin being the only states with this specific kind of office, Office of Rural Prosperity. Do you know? 
We're starting to learn. We've been talking with a few other states. There's some rural development offices, um, and we've been we've been chatting with Michigan, but we haven't had a chance to get together with each other to really understand how their offices compare to our offices of rural prosperity. And both of you, I mean, both of you are relatively new in in these roles, and these offices are relatively new too. Correct. I was just going to say, Wisconsin started their Office of Rural Prosperity in 2020. So it is, we were a little behind Kansas on that. Um, So yeah, it's still very new. And we we look at it as kind of a startup where, you know, we're building the ship as we're sailing it, for sure. Ours really kicked off with a big tour to see if it needed to be happening or not. So it's been cool. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that, Tricia, the listening tour that brought this into being. what what were some of the the key things that you heard um, on that tour that that ultimately resulted in this office? Yeah, so when they created the office, they really just needed to see if there was going to be an office like this, what should they be focusing on? Because mm-hmm. rural can cover everything. Ninety five percent of our state is is rural um, uh, geographically, anyway. Um, so they really focused in on. Uh, what the citizens heard in all those listening sessions. So they really came up with housing, childcare, broadband and infrastructure, um, economic development, healthcare, of course, uh, and just general community community development, which includes like arts and culture and placemaking. Um, those were the highlights, but number one, number two, were definitely um, housing, childcare and, and healthcare, number three. Um, I don't know if they're ranked, but definitely the top top ones that came mm-hmm. out. Yeah. But, they just need to come on. Was there a similar process, Beth, um, in Wisconsin? Yeah, so we worked um, with the Aspen Institute to create um, something called the Rural Voices Report based on three different listening sessions across the state, um, which I love because I feel like that's, you know, the power of rural communities is is people getting sitting down at that kitchen table and just talking through solutions to problems that they're facing and and. The, the power of the state to be able to open up, uh, you know, that conversation and really be listening and, and use those um, comments and the input from communities across the state to shape an agenda, I think is is unique. And that doesn't always happen um, that we, we're that proactive in seeking input in the way that we're shaping the work that gets done. You know, when I think about the the key issues that would have come up in those listening sessions, and Tricia named some of them, child care is one, um, job creation, all of those pieces. Those are uh, those feel like universal uh, desires, needs um, for a for a prospering um, economy and a prospering community, no matter how big or small. So I wonder then, why is it so important that? we're focusing on, on rural here. That's sort of the big question, I guess, for even, you know, even for an organization like Center for Rural Strategies and the Rural Assembly, why is it so important that we're lifting up uh, rural voices um, within the context of these universal needs? When it came to building and investing in new housing in a rural community and putting in the infrastructure, bringing a developer to town, um, putting all that together, we were seeing that developers just couldn't make it cash flow. And so they just repeatedly were not going out into the rural communities and making that business case for developing new housing and new childcare centers in these rural areas. But it's very, very profitable to do it in an urban area. You know, Wichita is growing, Kansas City 
Overland Park is growing. Um, but we, we weren't seeing those developers say, okay, well, I'm going to do, you know, I'll do 25% of my business is going to be in rural and 75 in urban. That just wasn't happening. And so we had to figure out a way to uh, not just provide a carrot to help get them there, but really provide that business case and that uh, the case for Kansas that you should invest in the whole state to make the whole state prosper. We're seeing the same uh, struggles with rural housing. I think that a lot of this, to your point, a lot of these issues are universal, but I think sometimes structurally there's different reasons why they're happening in rural communities. Um, you know, and so it's, it's, it's looking at the same issue, but figuring out the why behind it and, you know, kind of going upstream to, to find the source of the problem. And so oftentimes rural communities, you know, because they're so efficient in the way that they operate, they're relying on volunteers to do work that professionals are doing in, in larger communities or urban areas. And so, you know, there's just a reality of, you know, I, I think about all the issues that Trisha and I are thinking through and working on, and there's probably 15 different topic areas that we have to know at least a little about in order to navigate our roles. Um, and, and then to say, you know, somebody with a full-time job that's a part-time town clerk or administrator is being asked to have that same knowledge base and be able to navigate these things and then be able to apply for funding through the state or federal government and to solve an issue in their community. It's just, it's a challenge that's very different than urban communities that have, you know, a whole team of engineers and grant writers and project managers to address some of these issues. So that's been a huge focus of our first couple of years is really that resource navigation piece and how do we help communities better understand what resources are out there and provide a little bit of support for them, um, talking through the process of grant writing, talking through what they need to have in place to be compliant so they can get the resources needed, especially now with all of the federal dollars coming into the states. Well, I'm, you know, I'm glad you brought up all those, the federal dollars that are coming in. I wonder how is the office of uh, your offices, how are they positioned to um, to help translate those dollars and make sure that they are connecting um, to rural stakeholders as well. I inherited a bipartisan infrastructure law task force that was really focused on uh, helping communities understand what was available through that legislation. Um, we created a website uh, with all the links to all the state agencies and what resources they had available, as well as um, a, a spreadsheet that kind of went over some of the competitive funding that's, that communities can apply for directly to the federal government. And just like, what is this legislation? What does it mean? What types of funding are in this? And so just making it a lot easier for people to understand, is this something I can go after? And, um, and also, you know, a, historically, um, matching dollars has been a problem for rural communities. They just don't have the budgets to go after some of those federal dollars. And so helping them understand that that was taken into consideration in some of these grant programs um, and this, the same match requirements that have been typically required have been waived or altered through this legislation to really help rural communities. So that's been a great, um, I think, early win for our office and just building those relationships with other agencies, getting agencies together and going out into communities and kind of doing a roadshow to share what resources each have available um, has been part of that work as well. And we've been working to set up a grant writing pilot, um, pairing graduate students with communities to help write some of those grants too. Um, so that's in the works for us. 
One of the cool things I think about is Beth and I's relationship is that we can share ideas and they've done such a fantastic concept of how they're rolling out you know, the, the bipartisan infrastructure law um, and how they're getting that out to the communities in a very relatable and easy to understand, easy to follow away. That's a big challenge. Um, like, like Beth had said, we have a lot of volunteers who are doing this. We have a lot of city clerks and county clerks who are doing this. Um, you know, city and county commissioners that have no experience in writing, you know, a massive USDA grant, they just, they don't have that experience to doing that. So um, something we did that's a little different um, from, from Beth is we did a, we did a kind of a convening uh, for all these folks who are volunteers mostly um, to do basic trainings on, if you're interested in water, we're going to have four or five very intense training sessions on the different water programs that are coming up. Um, you can pick and choose from water, you can pick and choose from transportation, you can pick and choose from broadband and really learn what's gonna be available and what's coming up. And we had experts come in, kind of walk them through that. Um, and now we're having those trainings go down into regional planning groups. So regional planning commissions, um, CDCs, whoever is willing to kind of take that on and help those communities and doing it on a regional level um, it's a little bit more attainable for them. It kind of reduces the workload. Um, but I definitely think we're going to be stealing some ideas from Beth and, and Wisconsin for the grad student idea. I just think that's brilliant. Um, and I think that's the whole point of the offices of rural prosperity and other states hopefully adding these offices is that we can share these ideas to be more helpful and more accessible for rural, Kansas, or rural Americans. We'll be right back after this from the Daily Yonder. Hi, I'm Xander Brown with The Daily Yonder. Check out The Yonder Report, a weekly podcast rounding up the latest rural news. Produced by The Daily Yonder and Public News Service, you can listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And now, back to Everywhere Radio. If you could um, describe for me kind of like, what is a day in the life of Beth? What's a day in the life of Trisha um, when you walk into your, your office and where do you turn first? First things first is, you know, what's up on the docket in, at the legislature and how do I help on our team? Uh, there's a lot of communities who are trying to get legislation passed. So this is this is that busy season. So trying to help them with that. But um, we work in a team. I, I, our office really, we've kind of divvied up our responsibilities. And um, we right now we're rolling out a ton of grants. So we're just every day checking in on all the grant funds and where those things are and trying to keep our heads above water, helping everyone get through that process. Um, but that's our day-to-day -day of just, okay, we're gonna, we got a grant to rehabilitate downtown buildings. Now we've got a grant that's gonna help with childcare and, and senior centers and libraries, and let's make sure those funds are out. And now we have another grant that's gonna focus on public art and murals and getting that fund, those funds out. And, and now we're doing office hours because there's just too much. Like, the between bill and the grants that we're rolling out at commerce um there's just too much so now we're doing office hours like two hours I'm just gonna hop on zoom and i'm just gonna be there if anyone has a question or something major that's going on in the community you're just gonna be there i would say this week is a great great example of, of kind of what what my daily life looks like because it's totally different every week and this week has been driving uh, you know to the western part of the state to attend a meeting to look at um, the collaboration that's happening across five different governments to uh, re to create a new road uh, and do a new road project. 
Um, at the same time, I'm chatting with my team on Teams about a sponsorship that we're doing for a, an outdoor recreation event. Outdoor recreation is huge in Wisconsin. It's an $8.7 billion industry each year. Um, and so we're partnering with tourism and their office of outdoor recreation because, you know, a lot of those spaces are in rural Wisconsin. Um, so figuring out that sponsorship and how we want to promote um, and, and collaborate together on that. Um, and then we're applying regional collaboration, something Tricia mentioned. It's so important to our work and working with those regional planning commissions and economic development organizations. So we're applying to a federal opportunity to get some technical assistance to better align our rural plan uh, at the state level with all of the regional community economic development plans and figuring and including the Great Lakes Intertribal Council in that as well and understanding how the economic development needs at the regional level and at the tribal level align at, with the state. So getting that application written while I'm driving and <laughs> uh, working with my team on that. What is your what is your why for being so embedded and, and so committed to rural prosperity? I guess my why is I go back home um, and I, and I see my, my hometown and it's, it's dropped. The population was probably 1200 when I was in high school there. Um, and now it's down to 900 and, and I don't, you don't see a lot that they're trying well, they, they, at a time now they are, but um, the momentum that they needed to get going. And I've lived in Kansas almost my entire life and chose to come back to rural Kansas for my career. And every town has amazing gems in it across the state. And I, I see these small towns and they're the lifeblood of the culture of our state. Um, they're why our state is, is what it is. We're the nicest state in, in America. And, and that's because of these small towns. And, and I don't want to see them dwindle and die away. I want to see them come back and, um, you know, I, I was in economic development for 10 years here in Montgomery County, and we did so many cool things, but what made me the proudest was we were working on a big project that was ag focused and the impact that this one little project would have, it, it covered two hours radius of, of the community and every little small town and every farmer that was going to get to be a part of that was going to be impacted. And so I kept thinking that I mean, this is, this is how we do it, right? It's, it's thinking about it in a way that it's, it's big picture. I saw us make a difference here in Montgomery County. And so now I do it at the state level and I'm very passionate about it. I'm very, I go to all these small towns and I see like the community of Mattville Green, which is, I thought was a, a truck stop on the interstate. I felt really bad because that, that's what the name of the truck stop was. And, but it's a tiny, tiny town nestled in the Flint Hills in the most beautiful place on earth. And um, it was down to just a few houses. And now they've grown their population by 30 people in the last few years. And so it went, they went from 60 to now they're at 90 people. And it's become this amazing arts hub where the symphony gathers every year to play in the Flint Hills. And musicians are coming to record their music and artists are coming to paint those hills and the sunsets and the stars of Kansas. And that's the kind of thing that makes me happy. And that's my why, because you can turn things around. Even if you get down to the smallest population, you just have to embrace 
their why. Why is our town so unique and why is our town special and, and help them get through that? I think my why goes back to my origin story and, you know, uh, you know, having an ornery grandfather, he, he always called himself ornery. We didn't call him that. He called himself that ornery, ornery farmer and, you know, a really strong, you know, mom who was just like, this is how we do things. You know, we show up for community, we show up for family. Um, you know, those, those things really shaped who I am. And I think that that's a large part of my why, but at the same time, I grew up in the eighties. Um, you know, there was a lot happening in rural America in the eighties, a lot of changes to family farms, a lot of changes, you know, to the economics that impacted rural communities. And, you know, the, the America I was seeing on television and in the media was not the America that I knew. Um, and so it caused, you know, it, I became a very nomadic person, like searching for something. I didn't know what I was searching for. You know, I spent my 20s living abroad and living in other places across the country. And a lot of that was just feeling like, okay, um, you know, where do I belong? And, you know, what should I be doing? And, uh, you know, I left my community, which happens way too often in rural communities. We lose so much talent because... Um, you know, there's this sense of, is there opportunity here for me? How do I make a living? Um, luckily, I think there's some opportunity now with remote work to shift that a little bit uh, for those who want to. But um, I think just those values have kind of followed me. And the reason I love rural development work so much is because it is so much heart. It is so much about relationships and about people and how welcoming and open people are once you get to know them and willing to like pull up your sleeves and get work done. And um, I love that. One of my mom's favorite quotes is, um, may you always have enough and plenty for the day. May you never have enough to waste or throw away. And I think it just speaks to the resourcefulness of rural communities and something that was just like ingrained in me. What is a frustration that you carry with you? Um, in this work or a challenge um, that you feel like you're constantly having to push through? Um, and are you making headway? Do you feel like you're making some headway? Our, our biggest challenge um, probably comes from trust and also capacity. So a little bit of both. Um, you know, it's been some time since a state that geographically is mostly rural. And I know it's probably the same in Wisconsin. The, the counties and these communities have learned to be resilient and depend on themselves and not have the state be involved with anything and support them in any way. Um, and, and that was the culture that's kind of historically happened because there wasn't someone that said, you know, I'm, I'm your, I'm your person. I, if you have a problem, call me, let's walk through it. I'll pair you up with someone that didn't exist. And so communities stopped applying for funds. They stopped going after, programs that are being created because it was seen as a handout and it, too much red tape and bureaucracy gets too hard and let's just, we'll, we'll figure it out ourselves. And so we're trying to build that relationship back up, um, but also capacity. So um, in communities, when you do get that bright up and comer, they get snatched up real quick. And so then the communities kept seeing this happen over and over again in their communities too. And so it, it, it made it hard to get that relationship from the state to the community built. I'll tell you a funny story. So when I took this job, I um, 
had just finished one of the biggest economic development projects in Montgomery County. And uh, a friend from a neighboring county was like, you realize you went from doing this in one county to doing it in a hundred counties, right? Did you do the math? <laughs> do you have the capacity to handle this? And um, there was just two people in the Office of Rural Prosperity at the time. Now we have five. Um, and yeah, I was like, oh yeah, good call. I need at least a hundred more people across the state to do this work. It takes time and you see that turnover and it's frustrating. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, um, somebody quoted something to me the other day that feels appropriate here about if you want to get there fast, you go alone, but if you want to get there sustainably, you go together. Um, and that takes a longer time. It's, it's longer. Yeah, that, that takes longer. And I think there's sometimes like this urgency to act and like demonstrate impact. And you need to take that time to build those relationships and build that cohesion. So there's that level of synergy. That's certainly a challenge. I think, um, I think for me, you know, coming into an office that was about a year and a half old and being in the role for seven months now, you know, the Rural Voices report was 95 pages long and covered 15, 16 different topics with different recommendations. And so it's, to me, it's been about prioritization and then doing that both uh, simultaneously for the Office of Rural Prosperity and then understanding WDC, the Wisconsin Economic Development Corporation, where we're housed and their programs and how our strategy fits within the larger organization. And so it's just navigating kind of strategic priorities and really getting to that point where you know, like, okay, no, these are the five things that we're really going to focus in and go deep on for now, knowing that everything else is still important. But if we don't make those choices, um, you know, we can spin a lot of wheels and, um, and, and take a lot longer to really have an impact. Mm. Y'all are so inspiring doing such important work. So before I left, let you go, I want to ask you the question I ask, get to ask everyone on this podcast. What are you reading or watching or what sort of media are you taking in that has inspired you or challenged you maybe in good ways these days? So I'm, I just started reading this book that I'll show it. This is the, the book. Oh, I had it sitting on my desk because I've been trying to tackle reading it on my lunch hour every day. Um, but it, it just broke. I think it, uh, they just dropped it, but they gave me an early edition, luckily. But it's the KLC, um, the Kansas Leadership Center, uh, when everyone leads, the toughest challenges get seen and solved. And it's kind of their framework on leadership that I find very relatable and easy to digest. And I read a lot of books, you know, good to great and all the big ones that say, this is how you should be a leader in your in your organization. But um, this one kind of breaks it down to, okay, now you have this challenge. Now you have this challenge and um, gives me some ideas and thoughts that um, I wouldn't have had otherwise. So, so far it's really, really good. And I think um, I've really enjoyed it. I have a little bit of a different spin, probably less, less work related. Um, so, you know, post pandemic, I've just been looking for those like little moments of beauty or just like that kind of the magic of life, just like reconnecting to that um, and trying to have that better balance between my work and my life. And so I've been reading a lot of poetry 
Um, I, I revisited a, a Rumi book that I've had on my shelf forever, um, a Rumi book of poetry. Um, I revisited a, a Nikki Giovanni book of poetry on um, love poems. Um, and then I love Orion magazine. That's one that I go back to again and again. That includes a lot of poetry, but also stories about conservation and the natural world. And um, I, wor I worked at a summer camp when I was a young person for like six summers. And so just kind of reconnecting to that part of myself too. And especially when it's cold and you can't get outside too much, like reading reading those short stories and reading those poems to kind of stay connected to the natural world has been really great during the winter. Well, thank you both for this conversation. Um, it's been wonderful to hear from you. And I love that how you all know one another already and you're already working together. And it's so clear that you've built a lot of trust and connection across your states and within your relationship. And that's really delightful to witness. So thank you for being here. Thank you for having us. This was fun. This is great, Whitney. Thank you for your insightful questions, too, and your clear passion for rural people and places. I agree. Thank you so much, Whitney. This has been really wonderful. If you enjoyed Everywhere Radio, we'd love for you to consider subscribing to the General Rural Assembly newsletter, where we promote new offerings from the Assembly and amplify the good work of our many partners across the country. We also have an advocacy newsletter that comes to inboxes on Mondays to help you start each week with a quick take on the top issues that we're tracking across the nation. Everything from broadband policy to reproductive justice. Just head over to ruralassembly.org to sign up. If you're a true fan of Everywhere Radio, please let us know by rating us wherever you get your podcast. And if this isn't your cup of tea, no biggie, it's fine. We'd like to thank our media partner, The Daily Yonder. Everywhere Radio is a production of the Rural Assembly. Our senior producer is Joel Cohen, and our associate producers are Xander Brown and Teresa Collins. And Anya Slepian is our assistant producer. And we're grateful for the love and support of the whole team at the Center for Rural Strategies. Love you, mean it. You can be anywhere, we'll be everywhere. <laughs>